Amen. So we're going to jump right into Scripture today. Um, I'd like to hear a little bit of excitement about that. Let me try that again. We're going to jump right into Scripture today. There we go. Now I'm going to tell you a little bit about this Scripture. It is the second part of our Dream Again series. And last week we were talking about how this group of people who followed the faith of Judaism, they had been taken away from their land of Judah. And that's where Jerusalem was, in Judah. And they were taken to the Babylonian Empire, and they were kidnapped, and they were in this place of exile, and they had lost hope. And so God gave these words to them to dream again, even in the midst of their despair. And so he said, God had reminded them, he said, you know, uh, you know, oh Jerusalem, oh Jacob, do you remember that? And he said, remember all the things that I've done in your past? All those amazing things? He said, I'm the same God. I'm the same God I was then. And he said, yet I am going to do those same things for you in the future. I'm going to be the same God in the future, but I'm not going to do the exact same thing. So stay on the edge of your seat and continue to dream. But nothing is going to happen unless you have faith, unless you dream about the future. Well, flash forward, we're still in the book of Isaiah, but we are in Dream Again Part 2. And this is a lot of time has passed, and the people who were in Babylonian captivity have, have seen their answer to prayer. They have been released from captivity by a foreign king, a guy named Cyrus the Great. He took over the Babylonian Empire, and he just released them. He said, go back to your land. Go back to where you came from. And he said, not only that, but I'm going to promise you that I will give you the money that you need in order to rebuild your land and your temple and to put everything back together. So they travel all the way back, these people who were for many years in Babylonian captivity. And they go back to Jerusalem and they discover that Jerusalem has changed. That the people who live in Jerusalem are pessimistic and they have given up all hope. And that they don't like the idea of these people from Babylon coming back and saying, hey, here we are, we're going to fix everything, we're going to just take the money and we're going to build everything back up and the dream is going to come true. And so these people in Jerusalem have become kind of a barrier to the construction of the temple. And then these, these people, these, these Babylonian exiles who've returned and started to rebuild the temple, they, enter, they encounter one, one setback after another. They keep trying to rebuild the temple and, and each time... They encounter another setback, and they discover that rebuilding the temple is a lot harder than they ever thought. And, and the, the, you know the old saying, it's easy to talk the talk, but it's a whole lot harder to walk the walk? That's what these people are experiencing. And so they are in their own, again, place of despair about this rebuilding process. And God speaks these words in Isaiah chapter 62, 1 through 5. Listen to the word of God speaking to these people. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest. Until her vindication, her justice shines out like the dawn. And until her salvation like a burning torch. The nations will all see your vindication and all the kings shall see your glory. And you shall be called by a new name that will that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and, and a royal diadem 
in the hand of your God. And you shall no longer be termed forsaken, and your land shall no longer be termed desolate. But you shall be called, my delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. And as a young man marries a woman, so shall your builder marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now I said these people, these exiles, return back to Jerusalem. And they discover that the the place is an ash heap. It's just rubble and ashes. And then they start this rebuilding process, and each time they encounter one obstacle after another. Now, there were some people who decided that they wouldn't take up Cyrus's offer to return back to Jerusalem. They stayed in Babylon. And they would oftentimes refer to the people who went back to Jerusalem because they weren't succeeding at what they set out to do. They would refer to them as, well, you know, those God-forsaken people, those forsaken ones. And they would refer to that 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 horrible place of Jerusalem, which was just ashes and rubbles, they'd say, you know what, that, that waste heap, that, that desolate land. And I can imagine the people that went back to Jerusalem in the midst of trying to rebuild this, this temple or rebuild this entire city, they must have heard those words from people and thought, you know, wait a second, maybe we are God forsaken. Maybe God's not with us. Maybe the land that we have is just destined to be desolate. Maybe the dream will never come true. Now, now in our lives, if we survey the landscape of our lives, we too will discover the rubble and the remnants of hope long abandoned. If we look across the landscape of our lives, we also will discover that there is debris from dreams that we have given up on, that we've cast aside. And in some cases, we become really good at settling for second best, for settling for the thing that that was just good enough. It's not the dream, but it's good enough. For the people of of Israel, they were were tired. The the work that they had was never-ending. They were just building and building and building. And this actual exhaustion became a source of discouragement for them. But not just that. It was the setbacks, the constant setbacks for the construction project, one after another. And that became an obstacle. But not only that, but it was the pessimism of the people surrounding them that became another setback. Now, I have a question I want to ask you today. What is it that has either hindered or ransacked the dreams that God has put on your heart and in your life. Take a moment to think back on those dreams. Place yourself in the rubble or the scaffolding of those dreams. Gaze on the unfinished remains of those things that you set out to do, but you never saw to completion. Or perhaps those things that you resolved to accomplish but you never even attempted. Now hear God say the same words to you that he said in Scripture to the people of Israel. He says, For the sake of your dreams, I will not stay silent. 
For the sake of this dream becoming a reality in your life, I will not rest until the vindication, the justice, the hope, the peace, the beauty shines out from your life. Until, until it's like a blazing torch for all the world to, say, to see. All the nations notice, wow, look at, look at what God is doing over there. And all the kings discover, and all the important people of the world, they see that God is doing something new and profound and important. And, and, and I love the way the scripture, and God speaks into these people. He says, you know what? You will be like a crown of beauty. You will be like the most beautiful thing that you can ever imagine to God. And that God is going to rejoice beyond all belief when this thing, this reality, this dream takes place in your life of hope and peace and beauty and joy. You should hear those words to you as well as you are in the midst of building that dream that God has set on your heart. That passion. That inspiration. And you know what God, I think God is also saying these words. You know all those people that have said that you're a hopeless case? All those people that said, you know what, you're a hopeless dreamer. You're someone who set out to do something and look, you're not going to succeed. He said all those people that said, you know what, the work that they're doing is pointless work. There's no, there's no fruit from that. God is saying to the people of Israel, and I believe he's saying to you too, in the midst of the dream that he puts on your heart, which is important, the dream that God puts on your heart, those people will not say that you're hopeless cases anymore. They will say those people are loved. Look at how they're loved. And they will say about the work that you do, look how profound and important and transformative this work is. And look how it changes the world. Do you hear those words and how they can transform that dreaming process into becoming the kind of thing that, that actually brings about those dreams? Now, you've heard me say it before, but I started a church uh, 10 years ago. Exactly 10 years ago. Today we're celebrating our, se- or next week we're celebrating our 75th birthday for this church. 75 years as a church. And, and this week's Thrive on Thursday, a uh, little worship service. We're going to celebrate it there too, so we want you to come check that out. But 10 years ago, exactly 10 years ago, I started a church in Paso Robles. Um, and it was an adventure. It was like doing something that I never could have imagined doing in my life. It was a total dream. And, and it was a dream come true in so many ways because in three years, in three years, the regular church attendance had grown to a thousand people every Sunday. And, and we were like nomads. We didn't really have a church building. We worshiped in a movie theater that was in town. And so we decided that we needed a home. We needed to build a church. But that involved so many setbacks. It involved getting architectural sketches, getting financing, choosing the land and making sure that the land would be possible to build a church on, and then going through city approvals. And then there was this part where this beautiful hill that we had purchased with the grass growing on it, you know, Paso Robles countryside, where they took out these bulldozers, bulldozers and they started to do grading work. And they just graded down the hills. All of the hill just got pushed to the side and became a big pile of dirt. Now, in today's day and age, it feels like a long time to watch grading take place. Can you imagine how long it would have taken to do grading back in biblical times? How long it would have been, especially not just with the clean hillside, but just with rubble 
piles and piles of rubble and ashes, the amount of work that would have been that would have needed to have been done in order to establish a firm foundation for that temple and to make sure that what they were building was strong and secure would have would have felt impossible. Even with all of the setbacks of financing that they had to do. <coughs> Excuse me. In your life, there are dreams that, that God has put on your heart. And you will find that, that sometimes God needs to bring us to our knees. That's the way I've come to term it. I was talking to a lady the other day from this church, and she said last year in her personal ministry was the toughest year of her life. And then she said, but you know what? This year's already 10 times better than last year started out. And I thought it was going to be so great. <coughs> Excuse me. And in that conversation with her, I thank you. Oh, my gosh. Thanks so much. If this is coffee, I'm going to speak a lot faster in a second. I signed a prenup with my wife. I wouldn't drink coffee, and now she's giving it to me. I don't know. <clears throat> for your sake, for your sake, I don't drink coffee. Um, and, and I was talking to this lady, and she said, you know, it was the worst year of my ministry, but this year's already better than I thought last year could have possibly been. And I said, you know, isn't it amazing that sometimes God needs to bring us to our knees before he builds us back up again? Sometimes we need our life to be graded down as a community, as a people, as individuals. Sometimes we need to be brought down to our knees in order for God to establish and to take out the old foundation and to pour a new foundation, a stronger foundation, and then to build us up piece by piece by piece. And sometimes we don't like how long that takes. But the result is something so beautiful, more than we can ever imagine. Listen to the conclusion of a sermon that Martin, Reverend Martin Luther King, I like to call him Reverend King, by the way, to remember that he's a pastor. Reverend King preached at the Temple Israel in Hollywood in 1965. He said these words. We shall overcome because Carlisle is right. No lie can live forever. We shall be overcome because William Cullen Bryant is right. Truth crushed to the earth shall rise again. We shall overcome because James Russell Lowell is right. Truth forever on the scaffold, wrong forever on the throne. Yet that scaffold sways the future and behind the dim unknown standeth God within the shadow keeping watch above his own. With this faith, we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to speed up the day and in the words of prophecy, every valley shall be made low and every hill and mountaintop shall be, every, sorry, every valley shall be exalted and every hill and, val, hill and mountaintop shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain and the crooked places straight and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. 
This will be a great day. This will be a marvelous hour. And at that moment, figuratively speaking in biblical words, the morning stars will sing together and the sons of God will shout for joy. Reverend King often told his friends about his dreams and about the dreams that God put on his heart. And when Reverend King gave his famous speech in the March on Washington, he was about seven paragraphs in to kind of a prepared speech. When Mahalia Jackson said, does anyone know what she said? Anyone? Tell them about the dream, Martin. Tell them about the dream. Then Reverend King took his speech and set it aside. He paused, looked back at Mahalia Jackson, and then he said these words. I have a dream. How many times in life do we need to take the manuscript that we've prepared and set it aside? How many times do we need to take the plans that we have in our hearts and to submit those to God and God's plans and God's dreams and God's timing and God's rhythm and and accept that God has a beautiful plan that he's going to work in our life and to be bold enough and willing to share the dream with others and to believe in that dream and to live that dream out. I think Dr. King can say it better than I can. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream. That one day, even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today.
get ready There's a train that's coming You don't need no baggage Just get on board All you need is some faith You hear the diesel is humming You don't need no ticket Just thank the Lord And then our people get ready there's this train down to Jordan It's picking up passengers from coast to coast Faith is the key to open up the doors for them There ain't no room just for those along the most People get ready There's a train that's coming Oh, thank the Lord. 